Well, greetings, Grace Church. It is great to see everybody on campus this evening. Why don't you look over at your neighbor sitting nearby, give them a big smile, uh, fist bump maybe if you're close enough, and just tell them you're glad to see them at the house of the Lord tonight. Those joining us on live stream and Facebook Live, we are so glad that you've chosen to be part of the service tonight, and I know it's going to be a blessing to you, so thank you so much. Uh, let me give you just a couple of announcements tonight as we begin our service, remind you of some things that are coming up. Of course, this Sunday is Easter, Resurrection Sunday, and uh, we want everybody, of course, to come out and be a part of our Easter service. And in particular, in the 11 o'clock service, Brother Greg Albritton will be ministering once again. And so, weren't you blessed by that service this past Sunday? Wasn't that an, a profound move of God? Amen. Amen. Absolutely life-changing. Brother Greg will be with us again this Sunday, ministering in the 11 o'clock service. And then the following Sunday, so this will be April the 24th, not this coming, but next, Brother and Sister Gums will be with us in service. Do you, rem do you remember Brother and Sister Gums from the children's rally that we had here a while back? They are amazing. They're incredible children's evangelists. And we're blessed that they're going to be uh, here on the 24th ministering in the 11 o'clock service with a special emphasis on our children. So be in prayer for that service. And, of course, bring your children and grandchildren and some guests. And let's see God pour out the Holy Ghost on our kids. Amen. And then finally, last announcement, just if you would indulge me, would you just say move the mission? Move the mission. It's that time again. Uh, our season of fundraising for Move the Mission has started. I gave our students a presentation last Wednesday night in, um, in the uh, youth service. And so we're excited. They're motivated. They're ready. They're wanting to move the mission. So, of course, this used to be called She's for Christ, and uh, it's now Move the Mission. And it all, we, we raise money all to go towards missions. Some of the funds do stay in, in the local uh, district uh, for some of the youth events, but the vast majority of it goes to foreign missions, and so we want to get behind this effort and be a part of this, so you'll be hearing from now throughout all the summer, you're going to be hearing about different opportunities to give and, and fundraisers that we're doing, but the first one is coming up on May 1st, uh, and it is going to be the Move the Mission Cake Auction, and of course, you remember our cake auctions from years past, that is a, an event not to be missed, so bring your wallet, your checkbook, your debit card, uh, your, your bonds, your CDs, your stocks, whatever it takes to cash in on some baked goods, and uh, we're, we're looking forward to that. You can contact Tanya Coley for more information uh, if you want to contribute uh, to that in terms of baking goods and being a part of that, uh, and we would greatly appreciate it. So God bless you as you remember these things, and uh, we're just going to, um, to, to uh, make a difference on our Move the Mission goal. I'm going to ask you to stand with me tonight before pastor comes to teach the word and preach the word. And we're just going to start out by praying and asking God to be with us tonight. Let's do that together. Jesus, we are so thankful for your presence. And we enter in with, uh, into your gates with thanksgiving, into your courts with praise. Lord, there's a song in our heart. Lord, there's a, there's a joy in our spirit knowing that we serve a resurrected Christ. Lord, that the hope of our salvation rose again. And more than that, you live inside of us as the comforter, Lord. And so we thank you for the truth of the good news of the gospel. Be with us tonight, Lord, in Bible study. Anoint us, anoint pastor, Lord, anoint our hearts to receive. Let it all be done to the glory of the Lord. Everybody say in Jesus' name. 
In Jesus' name. God bless you. You may be seated as pastor comes to the pulpit. Thank you, Brother Dave. Great to see everybody. How is everybody on this fine Wednesday evening? I hope you're doing well. And uh, I'm certainly excited to see all of you here. And uh, this is our fourth Wednesday night of a storm. I don't know if y'all are keeping track of that. It's a fourth Wednesday night in a row that we've had a storm. And uh, I don't, I'm asking the Lord, if you're trying to say something, I'm trying to listen. And, uh, but hopefully we'll get through this cycle. But I'm glad you're here. And uh, came and, and we might hear some rain and thunder uh, tonight. The power goes out. Just have your smartphone handy and turn on your little flashlight. And uh, we'll make it out of here. But I'm glad to see all of you. Thank you so very much for coming. Along with Brother Dave, um, Sunday was an amazing time. And I'm certainly thankful um, for just such a wonderful manifest move of God in our midst. I'm very thankful for what God is doing at Grace Church. And I believe there are some more great things coming down the pike, if you will. Thank the Lord. I want to jump into our Bible study tonight. And uh, before I do, let me mention the gums coming. We do want to encourage all of you to please be here with your children. Uh, those of you that have younger children, this is going to be all about them. On that Sunday and we're certainly excited about it and our children are well worth the effort and the focus uh, that they'll be receiving and uh, we can all come and rejoice together I'd like to read tonight from Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 uh, to launch into our Bible study tonight the Bible said he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. This is the verse of scripture that the terminology, the fivefold ministry comes from. Uh, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. That we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness whereby they lie in wait to deceive. But speaking the truth in love may grow up into him in all things which is the head even Christ. Verse 16. From whom the whole body, the whole church, the whole body fitly joined together and compacted by that which every joint supplieth, according to the effectual working and the measure of every part, maketh increase of the body unto the edifying of itself in love. The whole body fitly joined together. I was at one of the emergency places uh, this week uh, having my foot looked at and ankle and whatnot <clears throat> and when the uh, physician's assistant walked in she said uh, well Mr. Murphy why are you here I said I'd like to have my foot amputated <laughs> she didn't think it was funny but I thought it was kind of cute of course that was not the real reason I was there of course but um, it is tempting on occasions and then she finally fell in line with a joke and said well you know what we have a whole bunch of feet in the back 
uh, so we can take care of it. It would be nice if it was that easy. And uh, I have, I have, I had a brother that actually lost both of his legs in an explosion, one just above the knee, one just below the knee, and I watched him for the rest of his life struggle to do anything, to do anything. We all need one another as, the part, as, as we are all a part of the body of Christ, the church. We all need each other. And uh, Grace Church don't have any hands, feet, legs, arms, all of that that can be cut off, and, and we're happy about it. I want to talk to you tonight for a little while about the standard of mutual dependence, that we all need one another. We depend on one another. Sister Murphy and I have had the conversation many, many times through the years as we just don't know what people do without a church without that support group that the church provides. Uh, I used to work for Raven Horse a number of years ago, and they'd call me periodically to come do a service because nobody had, the, 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 the family had no church, no pastor. They had no one. And it was the smallest funerals I've ever attended. There was just hardly anyone there. And uh, we need one another. We need the church. We need our church family. Architecture, one of the most attractive arts and sciences, has conceived and executed many wonderful buildings. Its crowning triumph is to embody in the lifeless stone a living idea. This has been successfully accomplished in such creations as the triumphs of Gothic art, the Greek column, the Roman arch, the Byzantine porch, the Gothic spire, or the Italian dome. Each one of these conveys some distinct and impressive conception of grace or majesty or awe. If you've ever seen these things, especially in Europe, or if you've even seen pictures of them, it still mystifies me as to how they even built it to to build a column 50, 60 feet tall back then in the 15, 1600s and then erect it uh, was quite a challenging thing, but they did it and they did it successfully. Moving forward, when you gaze at the splendid dome of our own capital in Washington, when you consider the forest of pinnacles that rise from the towers, the, the towers of Milan Cathedral, or the strange charm of that dream in marble that's called the Taj Mahal, one is conscious that mind has triumphed over matter and that the stone is speaking unutterable thoughts and feelings to the very cultivated mind. The supreme charm of the architect's pile is unity. The supreme charm of the architect's pile is unity. His conception is to produce a single building and a unique effect. God is building a spiritual house on a similar principle, but far transcending man's highest thought, he is 
rearing an invisible temple for the exhibition of his greatest thought and the manifestation of his own infinite presence and glory. The only two structures ever built on earth by divine architecture are entirely controlled by this idea. They were impressive of the highest truths. If you look at the tabernacle in the wilderness, the first church that God ever built, if you will, if you've ever studied it, I hope everybody here has given the tabernacle in the wilderness a little bit of time. It's probably one of the most interesting architectural feats you'll ever find anywhere in every part of it, every part of it. The most minuscule part of it has extreme significance in bringing to this planet ultimately the Lord Jesus Christ. But every bit of it, every bit of it gives to you that presentation of eloquent redemption and the very significant Christ. You look at the exterior of the tabernacle in the wilderness, it's so plain, it's so unattractive, it was designed to be that way. But then when you step inside and look at the interior, it is so glorious and resplendent and you see at once an image of the church and her glorious head the Lord Jesus Christ. Despised and rejected of men is what that outside covering manifests to us. It's not attractive. It's not anything to be desired after. It's not anything to be sought for. Yet the psalmist said, when you step inside, it is all glorious within its chamber. You enter the court going up to the tabernacle and the sacrificial altar and the cleansing labor at once proclaim the truths of salvation and sanctification. You enter the holy place and the golden lamp reveals not only its own beauty but the table of showbread and the rich provision of that sacred chamber for the privileged worshipers. You become immediately conscious that the air is laden with the richest of perfume and you find that the frankincense coming from that golden altar breathing throughout the chamber is speaking to you through your finest sense of the very presence of God, the, the breath of heaven and the, the, the wafted odors from the fields of the paradise of God. Still further, you venture through the veil and there you see the, the winged cherubim the blood-sprinkled mercy seat, the Ark of Covenant, the awesome Shekinah speaks to you of the most innermost presence of God himself and the highest truths of divine union and heavenly glory. The whole building, the whole structure of the tabernacle in the wilderness is just an object lesson of redemption and an ex exhibition of Jesus Christ. The same thing was true of the temple, the second church, if you will, that God built. Solomon's temple is what we call it. It rose up on the top of Mount Moriah on a far 
grander scale, but with equal spiritual significance. So God intended for His church, you and I, that's here tonight, Grace Church, and every other church in the area, God intended His church to be an exhibition of His glorious gospel, His heavenly character, and His riches of grace. I want to say that again. God intended for us to be an exhibition of His glorious gospel, His heavenly character, and the riches of its grace. It's it's business here, the business of the church here, is to exhibit and to manifest Christ and to afford a channel for His revelation and indwelling among men. Its message to the world is, according to 1 Timothy 3.15, the church of the living God is the pillar and the foundation of truth. Revelation 21.3 states, The dwelling of God is with men, and He will live with them. So whenever the church becomes self-conscious and self-centered, she immediately fails to accomplish her real divine calling. The highest glory is to be seen only in the revealing of her Lord. The highest glory, the highest achievement of the church is to reveal Jesus Christ to a sin-sick world. And everybody said amen. It's the supreme object of the church. And only insofar as we are revealing and reflecting Him who is our head? We are, we are we accomplishing the object for which the church was founded. Jesus Christ is still the chief cornerstone of the church. He is at once the foundation and the center. From that stone, every vertical line is drawn. From that stone, every horizontal line is projected. It unites two walls. I'm talking about Jesus, the chief cornerstone. It unites two walls, decides the true angle. And in relation to it, every particle of the wall is located and erected. The underlying theme here is unity. Everybody say unity. Unity that is founded and centered on none, on none but Jesus Christ upon whom we are all mutually dependent. The church is founded on Jesus Christ and Him alone. And it is He that we are all mutually dependent on. So the law of mutual independence has to do, first of all, with the unity of the church. The unity of the church is the point. The unity of the church most strongly emphasized by the apostle in this passage in Ephesians 4, 4. For there is one body, one church, and one spirit. Although we often refer to it as such, there really 
are not two ages of the church, the apostolic age and then the modern age. I contend tonight with all of my heart that we are the same church as existed in the book of Acts. We are still a part of that church and in which the apostles laid their tear of masonry. We have the same promises they did. We have the same endowment of power and should have the same manifestations of the presence and power of God. And God help us to achieve that, the manifestation of the presence and power of God. Not only are we one chronologically, but as the book of Acts church was, so are we, or should be, and that is one in diversity. I don't, under, I don't think we totally understand sometimes the statement that Jesus made to Nicodemus in John 3. When he said, for God so loved the world, we still have a propensity sometimes to want to direct and position the love of God where we prefer it and to withdraw it where we're not comfortable. But that's not how this works. That's not how the love of God works. The Bible, Jesus said out of his own mouth, for God so loved the world. It is for everybody. So the church should have its diversity. It should be made up of all races of people, of all tongues of people. It should be made up of rich and poor. It should be made up of men and women and children. It should be made up of everybody that occupies this world. We must, as a church, be unified on that point. Because when Jesus announced that his gospel was going global, we have no choice but to go global with the gospel ourselves. Notwithstanding, we preach the same gospel. We preach repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, we'd have to speak in other tongues. We teach holiness. We do all of the New Testament stuff. And it's beautiful to me to watch it unfold. Because the church now is, has all the peculiarities of individual character. The heart of every person that is a part of the church is different from the other. The spirit of a person is different from the other. But the life of the church is ever one. Because Paul said we are all fitly. Not forced, not coerced, not sloppy either, but fitly joined together. In the tabernacle of Moses, especially, there are hundreds of parts to it. There's hundreds of parts. I will stress again, and I can't emphasize it enough, when you study it, when you study it, One of our pastors back in the 50s, I believe it was, maybe it came out in the early 60s, wrote a book, The Tabernacle in the Wilderness. That's, that's uh, F.E. Kurtz wrote that book, and it's become kind of the standard. He did extensive research on every piece and part of the tabernacle, every piece and part, and researched its significance. There's nothing wasted. There's nothing overlooked. But more than that, 
in the tabernacle of the wilderness, there's nothing unimportant. There's no piece of it that's unimportant. Steve, if you don't mind, he, a year or so ago, a couple of years ago maybe, brought an old, old motorcycle home to his house in boxes and parts and pieces and he is turning that thing into a, a masterpiece. And if I've ever been lured back into riding a motorcycle again, it would be that one. Just because I know the person that's put it all back together and the intense thought and expertise that's gone into it, it's, it's, it's amazing. It's beautiful. But there's some parts of it that came with it that he chose not to put back on it because they're not necessary. They're not important. And he can make that discretion himself. He is customizing the thing for himself. And so he can pick and choose what parts he wants of it as long as it conforms to the laws of Louisiana and so on. But he, he, he won't have saddlebags on it. It came with saddlebags. He won't have that. It has a big passenger seat on the back. He's not going to put that on there either, I don't think. And he's completely changed the gas tank and all of that. I admire him for that work. But as a pastor of this church... I don't have that privilege to determine what parts that I prefer over the others. And I am very happy to announce, and I say it with a great deal of fulfillment and thankfulness, but we have all kinds of personalities and characters and peculiarities and people that, that make this church what it is, and that's the beauty of the gospel. But the part I want to stress tonight is there's no one that's a part of this church that I don't want you a part of it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's following that, that biblical format of the Old Testament tabernacle. There was not a piece of that tabernacle that was not important. There was no need in the Old, Tab Old Testament tabernacle that one piece should despise another. Of all the, the, the I believe it was five coverings, it's a, a, a five's a number for grace, five coverings on it, and, and the oldest was, the, the outside one was the ugliest one, and the, the one on the very inside, the ceiling when you look up, that covering was just absolutely magnificent. And it's amazing how God just picked an ugly one for the outside and a beautiful one for the inside, and but, but the ugly one can't criticize the beautiful one on the inside because they're both of equal importance. They are both necessary. They both help manifest Jesus. They both present Jesus to a lost and dying world. And what you and I have to understand is we can't make judgments on who's important, not important. And nobody here tonight should say, well, the pastor's the most important part of the, 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 part of the church. It's an important part. But if there's nobody sitting out here, there really ain't no point in me being here. Y'all understand what I'm saying? I was talking to somebody. I don't like to bring sports into the pulpit, but it fits right here. I was talking to somebody one time about how amazing Joe Burrow was, probably one of the most amazing quarterbacks, um, in my opinion, that's lived in modern-day history. And um, just talking about how great he was, and the other person said, well, what about the people on the other end catching the ball? So you got a point. If they couldn't catch what he was throwing, his pass completion record was just going to go down to nothing. And then it looked like a horrible quarterback. Y'all feel me here tonight? 
everybody has a place. Everybody has a place and nobody should despise one another. The Bible said they were joined and held together and placed in position. They formed a unique and complete whole. When everybody was in their place, when all those parts were put together, it turned out to be a masterpiece. So should the church be joined and held together and stand in the beauty of unity, the more perfect because of its diversity. It wasn't intended for everybody to be the same size, shape, have the same talent, same gifts, all sing the same, all play the same, all do this, the same. All. It was never intended to be that way. It takes everybody doing your part with all of your heart, <laughs> being there when you're needed and so on. So if we swell beyond our place, and we get too much of an ego trip going on and how great we are and we do this and we do that, your swelling ego is going to displace somebody else because it's a joint. So when you swell up on the joint, it's going to push somebody else out. That's not what God intended. We don't do that. We don't do that because we are properly seasoned and we are in the divine order and plan. Allow me to illustrate what can happen when we operate under the law of mutual independence. Are y'all on board with me tonight? A number of years ago, Reader's Digest printed the tragic story of a missing little girl in the Atlanta area. In an effort to locate her, the National Guard joined local authorities, and for three days in the cold winter air, they searched in every conceivable place but to no avail. Finally, on the third day, someone came up with the idea that a nearby field should be walked with all the law enforcement officials joining hands. And within a relatively short period of time, they found the little girl. The mother was called and grabbed up the limp body of her little girl, weeping. She kissed and caressed the lifeless form she was holding. And after a few moments, she looked up through her tear-filled eyes at all the men standing around and said, why didn't we join hands the first day? My baby would, have be, would be alive if we had joined hands on the first day. It is incumbent upon the church body to recognize the importance of working together hand in hand, as it were, in the spirit of unity. We are fitly, fitly framed together. When we come together in purpose and in function, we are more effective in reaching the loss before it's too late. One hundred trained, talented musicians playing together can produce music that is breathtakingly beautiful. I've heard it. You've all heard it. The same 100 musicians playing independently of each other can produce ear-splitting noise. The difference is that while the second group is completely self-absorbed, focusing only on themselves, the first group is in harmony concentrating on the music and following the conductor. The analogy for the church should be obvious. We have to be in unity. We are a church body of people fitly framed together. When we focus on following Jesus and fulfilling His purposes for us, it is a beautiful, even an awesome thing to see. When we focus on ourselves or pursue our own selfish agendas, it is pitiful or even a laughable sight. God has given to each believer 
specific gifts. These gifts are not just for our own personal benefit. They are for the good of the whole church body. The question that we must answer is what are we doing with ours? What are you doing with yours? What am I doing with mine? So in our text, the Apostle Paul likens a church to that most complicated and admirable machine, the human body, which produces its proper results by the healthful tone and right performance of its various powers and functions. Our, our level of physical and emotional comfort in life is directly connected to the sound condition and regular operation of all the multiple parts and organs that compose our corporal frame. Should the heart refuse to circulate the blood and to diffuse through all the various channels of intercommunication with the members of the body, its life-sustaining pulses, death ensues in a moment. We all know that. The same law of mutual dependence, the same law of mutual dependence reigns in improved civilized society. To be certain, the difference between a building and a body is immense. The building is mechanical. The body is organic. The first is put together by forces outside itself. The second grows up a force within itself. The building is a lifeless mass. The body is a living organism. And so the apostles' thought advances to higher ground for the church is not merely constructed. It was created. It was, it was born. It is formed out of the very life of Christ himself, its living head. And it grows in him up to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The, the science of anatomy is therefore much higher in the sphere of its investigations of that of, that of architecture. The study of the human body is fitted to afford a thousand illustrations of the beauty and significance of the striking frame of humanity. So without going into great detail concerning the body, it is enough that we realize that in the body of Christ, our life comes directly from Him. Our relationship with each other is dependent upon our relationship with our head, and that is Jesus Christ. So... There's a couple of points. Perhaps will suffice to bring out these truths, maybe three. We all have a mutual dependence on Christ, and I said that at the beginning. We derive our life as a church from our head, which is Jesus Christ. As Eve was made out of Adam's substance, so the church was born out of Christ, and every individual is a part of the life of Christ. Now, in the same manner that we sprang from him, understanding that in him we live, and move and have our being, so must we live by him in unity. I want to stress to everybody here tonight, everybody that's a part of Grace Church, we are a body fitly framed together. So we must live in unity, and he is the head of authority and control as well as of life. The head directs the members of the body. And so the church should be subject in everything to the will of Christ. Instinctively, every member should move obediently to the touch of the head. And by a thousand connecting cords of spiritual intuition, we should be able to sense the faintest intimation 
of his will and become responsive to his every thought and inspiration. At least that's what the head intends, the body does. Finally, our relationships to teach, or excuse me, our relationships to each other are in and through the head, Jesus Christ. And only as we meet him can we rightly adjust to one another. And that is such a true statement. Have you ever had a good friend in church and they backslid? And you don't, you don't have that church bond in common anymore. They've severed themselves from the body. They've cut themselves off from the body. And it's awkward. Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's, uh, it's difficult. You don't know what your parameters are anymore. You don't know what you can talk about when it comes to church anymore or not. And, and, and I, I struggle with this every time I talk to someone who used to be formerly a part of the church. That's why it's so important that everybody stays because when that person goes and there's, there's a, a place there that, that has to be fulfilled. You, you can't go to the back room and get a, a foot that they have in storage, as the lady joked with me the other day. You have, to, you, 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 you have to find someone else, and sometimes it's a long process to get that spot filled again. It's a lot of therapy, if you will. It's a lot of training. It's... A lot of things that goes into it. The members of the body are related to each other only through the head. Your fingers work together simply because they are both in direct connection with the brain. Your fingers work together because your brain tells them to do that. I've often asked people, you move your arm this way, just if you just move it this way and you move it that way, have you ever thought about how many mathematical calculations would have to be done to do that with a piece of equipment just to make that piece of equipment work like that. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we work through our head. The church should work through its head. Let one separate from its source of power, and it will be at once separated from its associate member. I know a man, Sister Murphy and I both know a man, lost his finger in his job and so he points this has become his index finger so to illustrate his hand he don't have his index finger anymore but if he makes his this middle finger become the index finger then he don't have a middle finger anymore and you see the process and it just keeps going so his hand is not complete anymore no matter how much the other fingers try to intercede and to react and what have you, his hand will never be complete again because one has been severed off. I heard a comedian say one time that he had an uncle that had the word love, L-O-V-E, tattooed on these four fingers and hate tattooed on these. And he lost his little finger, got cut off, so now his hand say love hat. thought I needed to lighten this up. It's getting really, really intense, and I just wanted to lighten it up just a little bit. <clears throat> but perhaps a simple illustration will show you how, how true unity in the human body depends on its head. You can't have your, your, your members in conflict with each other. Imagine the church organist. Anybody remember the old Hammond organs? I do. The big Leslie speakers. 
I've prayed a long time that God would send Grace Church an organist. And I've said when, once they walk in the door and they can play, we're going to buy one and we're going to put a Leslie somewhere and we're going to have church with an organ again. Hallelujah. Praise God. Hallelujah. <clears throat> but when the organist is sitting there and the organist is singing as well as playing, imagine what the members of the organist's body is doing. You have one foot on the pedals playing bass. You have another foot on a volume pedal. You have one hand on one keyboard, and you have another hand up here on this keyboard, and then her voice is singing. The brain is working overtime to make all that happen, and we should give a lot of appreciation to all of our musicians that their, their members work in harmony and in unity with each other. If it didn't, it'd be a hot mess up here every Sunday morning. And everybody said amen. Imagine Chris Lewis's right arm saying, I don't want to do that, that role and hit that cymbal. I want to do something else. But it stays in complete, perfect harmony and unity with what his brain is telling it to do. So they all act in concert. The eyes watch the fingers. The ears listen to the sound. They're all on the same page. But back to the organist. Is her voice paying attention to the keys? Not really. Because her voice is confident that the head is going to tell the fingers what they need to do. And the fingers don't have to worry about the feet because the head is telling the feet. What Y'all feel me here tonight? It's a beautiful thing when it all works. And here lies the principle of the law of mutual dependence. If you want Christian harmony, we all have to understand that we are necessary, we're important, we're needed in the body of Christ. If you and I can come together with our separate minds and feelings, we will never harmonize. But if we suspend our personal themes and take on Christ's themes, if we could suspend our desires and take on His desires, then we can have harmony, unity, and power. Jesus has equipped us with the necessary gifts to accomplish this harmony and unity. And I'm hurrying. The NLT reads Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 this way. Now these are the gifts of Christ, the, uh, the gifts of Christ gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work and build up the church, the body of Christ. This will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith. The message says until we're all moving rhythmically and easily with each other. Now watch this. So how many ministers are there in Grace Church, one, two, three. Before you answer that question, read Ephesians 4, 11, and 12 carefully. Here Paul shows that God gives pastors and teachers to his church not to be the ministers of the church, but to equip the ministers of the church. So all Christian people are to be ministers. And so you are one of those. We're all called to be ministers. So what is your ministry? In what ways are you using that training in your gifts for the building of the body? Uh, this is how we work together. 
and unity as a body of believers to accomplish the task that God has set before us. I want to close with this tonight. <clears throat> I think all of you know what a wildebeest is. I started to get a picture of one and throw it on the screen, but I'm going to assume we have a fairly educated group of people here tonight that knows what a wildebeest is. They're native to the continent of Africa. They migrate yearly in huge herds to the plains of Tanzania, Serengeti, to mate and to birth their young. Also on the Serengeti plain roam vicious predators, including the hyena. In this hostile setting, a newborn wildebeest has about 15 minutes to get up and run with the adult herd. Slow starters risk becoming hyena lunch. A particular documentary, and I'm sure all of you have seen at least something similar, showed a film of a wildebeest giving birth on the Serengeti. Her baby barely had time to get used to breathing when the mother nudged it to get up and get it standing up. Now picture the newborn on wobbly hind legs and its, its front legs, its forelegs still bent underneath its bobbing head and between the mother's nudging the baby's inexperience and the newborn is worn out after five minutes of repeated attempts to stand, the camera then picks up a hyena approaching stiff-legged, head lowered, slightly bare teeth. The mother wildebeest bravely steps between the hyena and the baby, but another hyena appears closely, followed closely by a third, and the mother lunges at the newcomer Although it backs away, another creeps in closer to the helpless infant wildebeest. And before long, a circle of hyenas occupies the mother wildebeest while the other hyenas eat the little baby. This is the interesting part. Meanwhile, while all of that's happening, spread out nearby, literally thousands of other wildebeest graze, now and then lifting their heads to watch the desperate mother attempt to fight off the hyenas and any one of them could easily have helped to save the newborn, but no one, not a single one does. I want to say to Grace Church, it, we must pledge to each other to stick together. There's a lot of mutual dependence. There's a number of our families that are struggling on a personal level with various things, at least that I'm privy to. There's some folks here tonight that are struggling with some very, very dire, mired in sin in their children. There's other people. I can't be more specific. I, I, I can't say anymore. There's other people here tonight that are facing some very dark times here in the immediate future. I'll just say it that way. It is of a dire importance that we stick together as a church, that we love each other, that we're kind to each other. Hey, it ain't perfect here. Not by a long shot, it's not perfect. But it's a safe place. It's a place of reconciliation. It's a place of hope. And there's a lot of people here that's found it. Somebody told me just this past Sunday that when we come here, we feel such peace what the person says it's imperative that we keep it that way and I'm still a believer that a pound of prevention is better than an ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure I don't want something to happen and we're all disjointed and out of unity and then try to get it back 
I think it behooves all of us to do whatever it takes to keep it. So some of Grace Church families have been through a lot of things even this year. Challenging things on the heels of COVID and all that stuff. And as tumultuous as our world is, if we've ever needed God and if we've ever needed one another, it's right now. And I want to make a pledge to Grace Church to be here. I want to be here. I want to stand firm, stand tall. I want to be somebody you can depend on, somebody you can count on. I hope all of you feel that way. I hope everybody feels that way. Thank the Lord. Brother Dave asked you before I came to the pulpit tonight to look at your closest neighbor and give him a fist bump and say something nice, what have you. I'd like for us to do that again. If everybody would just stand as dismissal tonight, this is our dismissal. Just walk around and tell somebody you love them. You're glad to see them. You're glad they're here. Appreciate you very much and mean it. And mean it with all your heart. Greet our guests. Please greet our guests tonight. God bless you. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. And we'll see you Sunday morning.